Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends of all shapes and sizes. This is Shark Brain, the podcast about creativity, the creators, those that throw themselves into the line of fire to feel and to burn brightly and render things from the gods' territory, bringing them in their little rucksacks off Mount Olympus down to everyone else. To listen to, to see, to look at, to appreciate, and to inspire others to go up the mountain. I don't know, guys. I feel like I got kicked in the gut. I just found out about Philip Seymour Hoffman. I had no idea that he had a problem with drugs. I don't know that anybody really had a firm idea that he had a problem with drugs. Maybe he didn't even realize he had a problem with drugs. Obviously. I hate hearing about this sort of thing. I hate it. Because it forces me to put myself in touch with my own mortality and forces me to ask the questions of myself about my own personal addictions, be they substance or otherwise. It forces me to ask questions about what I'm doing with my life about the choices that I make, about the lack of bravery or my perceived lack of bravery in the decisions that I make within my artistic career, within my personal life. I have to tell you, I would pay $14 to see him do anything. He was such a force. That bit in Punch Drunk Love where he just had just kept on saying shut up to, the, to Adam Sandler's character it was so friggin' powerful. The pain and angst and... and Oh, just the ache inside your soul in Boogie Nights, watching him just completely fold in upon himself. It was so phenomenal in everything. I, I, I'm just flabbergasted. It's another one. It's another one to drugs. I don't pretend to think that I have ever had any casual dalliance with uh, opiates. They've never really been, uh, never really been that deep down the rabbit hole. But I definitely have caught myself with a few tendrils. Darkness and addiction and substance abuse sneak up on you. They uh, they grab you from behind and then you wake up uh, not realizing how much of a hold they have on you. That is not to say that uh, there isn't help for that. It's a fight and, and uh, some people lose. God, it's so freaking sad. I mean... The strange thing about where art resides in the 20th and 21st century, and where it probably has resided since time immemorial, since cavemen were painting on walls, is that we take the most sensitive people in the entire world, and then we put them in schools and train the sensitivity even further down into them. We make them mine the well of their soul that is already so attuned, like a weather main spinning wildly in the middle of a hurricane. We ask them then... To make money making these things. We give them so much attention. We give them, we laud them and praise them and and wonder what they ate for breakfast and ask what they're wearing and, and expect a person not to crack under that. I think that there is a genuine fear of success as much as there is a fear of, of failure. We talk about that actually with Josh. But I know I've been guilty of it. I know that most of my life has been worried not necessarily about whether or not I'm going to die in obscurity. I'm going to say that that is an actual fear of mine. But even further, in the subconscious, darker, in the layers of my mind, I worry about what I would do if I were put in a position where I had to say no to somebody, have to say yes to this, have to live up to the potential that people thought that I was supposed to be, and to have to be the kind of person that some stranger random tourist on the street wants to take a picture with, whether or not I have the patience for that, whether or not I have the fortitude to be able to not believe my own press, or worse, not believe any of the praises, or live in the moment, or enjoy it. And just feel like everything. Everybody wants something from me. I, I I don't I don't know what that necessarily feels like. I I have friends who do, and uh, I don't know how they stay sane. Well, I do a little bit. That's why I started the podcast, right, guys? Listen, I don't want to make make everything about our own mortalities and have us all worry about whether or not we're really fully living up and checking off all the things on our bucket list and making a mark on this world and, and being a part of history, any number of those things. It's, it's too early for that. I'm not going to get into my Robin Williams Dead Poet Society speech. It's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you about what's been going on with me. Mainly, tonight, 
feeling the hit of, uh, of my own mortality by hearing about Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then on a totally other perspective and different end of the spectrum of humanity, watching the Super Bowl for inexplicable reasons, I'm not that guy. It's not what I do. I remember when I first started hanging out with like professional actors and musicians and, and that sort of vibe, the a real, the professional bohemian set of what I wanted to do, sitting around with them, and every now and then somebody would bring up some some team, and then everybody would start waxing lyrical about what they know about this team and what, who they favor for this, that, and the other thing. And I remember thinking deep inside my head, you traitors, that was for them. They, the sports jocks guys. The Axe Body Spray Sports Guys. We're the guys that wear patchouli and, and write in notebooks with bad pens and, and give one solitary flower to a girl and then leap out of her window wearing only her scarf. I don't know about that last bit, but uh, you get my meaning. We're, you know, we're arty dudes. Why do we know about football? But, I, I, again, I, I just watched football because uh, because of the commercials. Because I I like a nice, tidy, funny story in, in 30 minutes. And I'll be marketed too. You know, hey, I'm uh, still hovering below the poverty line. How much marketing can you do for me, right? You know, all marketing is to me is just uh, aspirational guilt. That's all they're doing is just instilling within me uh, the knowledge further and deeper into myself that um, I can't do things with my money other than, you know, the lowest portion of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know. Maybe not the lowest. I get the I get you know the food, the clothing, the shelter, and then I skip up to love, and then somewhere in the middle there, there's like a Pinterest board full of um, very expensive flannel shirts and um, you know hair cream that was made from the sweat gland of a yak that costs ninety five dollars for a fluid ounce. I wouldn't wear that if I were you. The imaginary hair tonic that I made up was secreted from an animal. I'm kind of loopy today, guys been all over the map. Oh, but what can I tell you? This past week has been great. This past week has been phenomenal. I, I don't know what it has been about a surge in serotonin. The dark clouds have kind of dissipated in a lot of ways. Writing like freaking crazy. It's, it's just been good. You know, I think that one of the things that I can, I, I, I don't necessarily talk about, uh, you know, regular germane things to my day to day as much on this show, as much as, you know, the, you know, the, the highlights, the bullet points. But one thing I got to share with you guys, my wife, in all of her health research over the internet, has found this thing. It's bulletproof coffee. Shout loud if you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. It's a, not necessarily the bulletproof coffee that they sell in the stores, but the, it's this method of making coffee that this guy who is a, a, a forced himself to become a health professional, David uh, Asprey, basically the coffee that he makes and it sounds weird. You get organic coffee, good, clean, organic coffee, and then you get grass-fed butter, and then you get coconut oil, good coconut oil, organic, high potency. You take a tablespoon of butter and a tablespoon of coconut oil, and you put that in your coffee, and you blend it up. Guys, trust me. I wouldn't lie to you. It's phenomenal. I've got energy throughout the day. I'm able to kick ass and take names when it comes to writing, mental acuity. I'm just sharp. Normally, I'll drink a cup of coffee and it's just like cotton candy. I've got the caffeine for maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes and then it's gone. It dissipates. It's gone. This, all throughout the day. And I'm on fire. I love it. I cannot say enough about it. I'm proselytizing it on the show. And it might be a bad thing because who knows? Maybe it'll come back to bite uh, all of us and, and you know, turns out it gives us cancer because everything gives us cancer. But I severely doubt it. It seems to be supported by a bit of science. A healthy fat, first thing in the day, with the caffeine, gives you sustained energy. All I know is that I've been writing like crazy, and I cannot say enough good things about it. So the experiment continues. Write into the show if you guys have differing opinions on that. If you're telling me that I'm poisoning myself, or, hey, let me know if I'm on the right track. I don't know. It may seem to you as it does to me that every five, ten years or so, our entire paradigms for that which we think is healthy for us get blown away by some new and interesting fact. And I'm tired of buying long-grain brown rice and then throwing it out because grains are bad and then buying quinoa because it is the natural superfood and then having to get rid of it because it's got some form of uh, lycopene that's going to make my p 
penis fall off. I don't know. I'm sick of, of the paradigm shifts. But I will say this. Habeas corpus, the proof is in the pudding. Show us the body. My body's on fire. I've got energy like crazy. And I love it. So give that a shot. Google, what is it? Uh, yes, bulletproof coffee. Look that up. Put that in your search bar. And uh, let me know what you think. Anyway, I've been writing like crazy for the record. It's feeling really, really, really good to just put pen to paper, to sit my ass in the chair, which is the hardest thing to do. Once you're writing, you're writing, but getting in the chair and not distracting yourself with a hundred different things. I've had to live with a messy house because whenever I want to work, my perfectionistic self comes out, screams from the very center of a very cluttered mind and says, we can't do anything until there's order. How on earth can we go into the unknown when all our I's and all our T's aren't dotted and crossed? So let's sit here and Google what kind of pledge to use on this IKEA desk. Why would... I'm, I'm, I'm getting pissed at myself again. I got to call him doing it. Ah. Guys, I had a great conversation with Josh Raiden, Joshua Raiden. You know, he's a bud. So I took off the UA. It's just what we do as friends, right? I mean, my name's Jacob, but everyone calls me Jake. That's what it is. So I got a lot of friends because I don't know anybody that calls me Jacob other than my mother or my wife when she's mad at me. Went over to his house. This was the first time that I did a mobile Shark Brain interview, and I'm using the Zoom H4n recorder. It's got a lot of really cool features on it. It's a really, really fun machine. However, it is not as simple as you think it is, ladies and gentlemen, and I found that out toot sweet shortly. Went over to Josh's house. It's not too far from mine. Rolled up. A little nervous about the machine. I took it through its paces, did a little bit of recording, kind of listened back, said, oh, that looks pretty good. That sounds pretty good. So I got there. And is a it's a it's a modernish house. It's a nice place. He's a he's really done it up really well. He's a he's one of these thinking gentlemen. He's not doesn't live in filth, you know. I mean, probably not like I would be. Uh, everything looked uh, well and in order. He had a you know a few Edward Hopper books and some Matisse books and that sort of a thing. You know, he he had a he had a cool arty guy house. Nice little Eames chair in the corner. Excellent reading nook. And he was just sitting there as I walked in had a uh, his favorite t-shirt that he was mending back together. Now, I'm telling you guys all this stuff because, unfortunately, in the process of the interview, looking down at the button, and I'm new to this H4N recorder, brand new, so I, I, I'm still kind of working the bugs out. There's a blinking light. Blinking light means recording. That's everything that I know about mobile devices and their recording. It blinks, right? Blinks mean go. Not so, ladies and gentlemen. Not so. So for the first 20 minutes of this interview, Josh is sewing together his lucky shirt, talking about how he always uh, wears it for every television appearance, and it is threadbare. It's beat to shit. And uh, I don't think I'm, I'm remiss in saying that he, he's not doing the best job as a seamster, but he's, it's getting done. He's closing up the gaps, so to speak. And we're talking about movies. We're talking about... He's got the huge Annie Hall poster, I tell him, that I've got the same poster, but in the English version, he's got the Italian version in his house. We start talking about movies. We start talking about his failed career as a screenwriter. Not necessarily failed, but unsuccessful in the broad sweeping view of things. His inspirations, Woody Allen, of course. Get to a lot of stuff. We do some callback humor. We, 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 we go over how we met and, and a whole host of things. All of which never gets recorded. Because I look down at that blinking light, and I think we're good. And then I notice the counter on the machine is still blinking at zero at 20 minutes in. And the only reason why I notice this is because Josh finally gets done sewing his shirt up and takes the mic from me. And then so I get a little uh, curious. And uh, lo and behold, there it is. It's gone. Now, I know I could call Josh up and say, hey, listen, I totally screwed up. Let, uh, let's go back and do it again. Do the interview again. But I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. I believe in a certain way and I might be wrong. I'm just I'm experimenting with this format. But I think I like to get the first shot off of people, you know? see what their initial gut reactions are and work through that. Maybe at some point we'll get into the deeper hashings of things, but I got to let you hear the first, the first conversation before anything else. So 
Maybe at some point when we go back through and we talk about deeper issues and we, we, we delve with other people, bring maybe Garrison Starr back on this show, bring a few other people back on this show to really get into the nitty-gritty of things, we'll get into, uh, we'll get into the, the first 20 minutes that got lost on this. But Josh is an interesting cat. I will say this about him, and I don't think that he would disagree. Since I've known him, less now, but, but more in the beginning of when I know him, I don't think that you could get Josh to give a fuck about anything that he didn't want to give a fuck about. And that's a very admirable trait, or at least it's a very valuable trait in this climate. Because a lot of times people would like to instill the seed of doubt within you. They'd like to tell you, listen, you should probably um, you should probably put more covers up on, on YouTube of uh, sexy boy toy songs. What do you think of that? No, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. No, well, you should, because I'm looking at the vectors and the uh, demographics and uh, all these things that have nothing to do with you and your voice as an artist and going to the center of yourself and bringing out the, the hardened diamond of experience from your own worldview. Here, I see that women like Michael Bolton. It has nothing to do with, uh, with you yourself and bringing your vision to light. Luckily, as he says in the interview later, he didn't care. He just wanted to serve the art, which is a great a great way to live your life. It can, you know, make you a few enemies. It can make you have to do a little bit of tap dancing later. But we talk a bit about that. Guy hit the guy hit the jackpot in a lot of ways. Doesn't mean necessarily that it all came free to him, but he did get a bit of a push at the beginning, and he knew what to do when he got that push. What do they say about luck? It's a uh, Ah, uh, what is it? It's opportunity and preparation. Is that what it is? I don't know. Am I, am I wrong? Anybody got the uh, that idiom down? It's what it seems to be. So where he may have lacked in preparation, certainly because the guy just started writing songs, he had a whole near decade of trying to write words, show him in pictures. It was a good talk with this guy. I don't get a lot of time to get real deep with certain people that are in and out. Josh has been on the road for so long, even you know, just about since when I met him. So we had, didn't get a chance to sit down until actually now, and it was a, it was a good conversation. Guys, I want to thank you for sharing about the show. I want to thank you for spreading the word. I'm, I usually do this as the sign-off, but uh, before we get too into the interview with Josh... And again, uh, let you know that it does kind of cut in the middle of it, so uh, I'm just going to leave it in, and, and you guys, you're, you're catching the middle of a conversation. We, we contextualize it pretty good. But um, I want to tell you that time is precious. I want to tell you that your inner voice should be listened to, and that it should be followed, up to a point. If the voices are telling you to do harmful things to other people, then uh, yeah, you might have a condition and uh, need to seek medical help. But you really are the best judge for showing what's inside you, if you really look, if you don't turn a blind eye, if you, if you fully and deeply embrace everything that is about you and pull to light that which you feel will serve and help others. It can be as unvarnished as you want it to be as long as the intent is there. At least that's what I feel. It's a grand debate, guys. I'm, 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 that, that's my small portion of said debate. I really love talking with Josh, and I'm going to get to it right now, guys. Continue to spread the word about Shark Brain. Go to Shark Brain Podcast. But here, without further ado, is the conversation with singer-songwriter Joshua Radin in his Los Angeles home with me, Jake Newton, on the one, the only... Shark Brain. Pressure on myself for like good grades and getting into a good school and yeah. doing all these things outside of school, extracurriculars, all that. It was always, I always put that pressure on myself. So ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what did your parents do? My mom's a social worker, and my dad is a like a salesman, uh-huh. you know, in the lighting business. Uh, but both um, 
although are they're very good at their jobs, mm-hmm. neither of them are like workaholics by any by mm-hmm. any stretch. Yeah. They just like to enjoy life, and mm-hmm. they got involved in a job, and they were like, all right, this is cool. Uh-huh. You know, was, um, I was always the one. My sister is the same way, mm-hmm. my younger sister. I, I was always the kind of the odd man out that was like, I, w- I want something more. I never knew what I wanted that mm-hmm. was more. Yeah. It wasn't money or fame or anything like that. It was more like I wanted to be more fulfilled yeah. than just having a job and then coming home to a family or something. Not that yeah. there's a anything wrong with that obviously but i always felt like i needed to express myself artistically mm. did there uh, for for in some way yeah uh, for for a job and that's the only way i'd be happy mm. was there ever a moment when you were growing up then you saw something and you said oh that i've i've that is something a little of uh, spark maybe not the entire picture but like a portion of the picture of like something that calls for me i get ever since i was a little kid i love to draw mm-hmm. i love to sing in the shower yeah um I loved uh, to write, yeah. you know, in a journal or, you know. Uh, so there were all these things creatively that I loved to do. And it took a, it took me until about 10 years ago. It took me until yeah. I was like 30. till I was, basically I had, make, I had to make this decision that was like, all right, I'm not going to try to do all these things at once. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just going to focus on one thing and that was music. Yeah. Um, because and it it wasn't really a decision that I made because I was I was like okay it was more kind of hard hard to explain but I had tried all these things painting and painting screenwriting. and screenwriting and I, I I was an art teacher for little kids in Chicago after I graduated mm-hmm. uh, the inner city kids you know yeah. I, I was very fulfilled by doing that but I there's just something was missing and. I guess any artist, there's always something missing. Yeah. Any creative person, mm-hmm. you never are content. No, and if you are, that wouldn't you... be an artist. No. You know, you... So that's uh, basically, I wrote my first song. My friend was on a TV show um, and he heard me play it mm-hmm. just in my living room. He was yeah. like, it was the first song I ever wrote. And he was like, you know, we're always looking for the, the producers of the shows are always looking for, of the show are always looking for new uh, bands or artists mm-hmm. and music to put on the show. Why don't you make a little demo of that song and maybe mm-hmm. they'll put it on the show? I mean, yeah. the producers like you. You're my friend. I mean, maybe they'll like the song. So I was like, I didn't think it would happen. Yeah. You know? But I was like, what do, I, what do I have to lose? So Carrie, I went into his bedroom. Uh-huh. He had like a, a mic like this, a 58. And, yeah. And... Like one of the first Pro Tools rigs or something on I this remember. old Mac. Yeah. And we made this little demo of my first song where I just played guitar and sang and did a harmony. That was it. I mean, mm-hmm. there was no other production, no mixing, nothing. <laughs> and I sent this demo over to uh, the producer of the TV show, Scrubs. Mm-hmm. And within like a week, uh, Bill Lawrence, the creator of the show, got my number from Zach, who was my friend who gave him this or who told me about the yeah. opportunity. And they put my song uh, on this uh, on the show. Awesome. It was like three weeks after I wrote my first song. It's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. I and mean, that just doesn't happen at all. That definitely probably felt like the universe telling you something strong. Yeah. And it was just around the time of MySpace. Yeah. Um, so I knew nothing about the internet or mm-hmm. social media or computers at all. Yeah. But Carrie, uh, friend that he is, yeah. you know, um, was very well versed in that and he showed me how to create a myspace page and i put the song up on on the page and um you know within god within weeks i had all these people mm-hmm. uh, trying to go uh, on you yeah or trying to find out where they could buy my music and uh-huh. i had one song <laughs> you know so that was when it was the first time i had ever done anything creatively whereby i did not search for an audience yeah I had, sp- I had I was 30 years old. I had spent the last 12 years, or no, I graduated at 21, 22 years old. Yeah. I had spent the last eight years trying to do things, express myself and find an audience. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I didn't even think about that. I just did something from the heart. Yeah. And the audience came to me. Yeah. Or a small audience, but nonetheless, it yeah. was the first audience mm-hmm. that, like, fans. A natural anything. gravitation. Yeah. yeah. And so... My girlfriend at the time, who I was in the midst of going through this breakup with after mm-hmm. six years of living together, uh, we she 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 was very instrumental in that. She was like, "Look, 
this, the only thing we ever argued about was like money because she uh, wanted it and I didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, she was like, people are wanting your music. What do you yeah. write more music? And I was yeah. like, okay, I uh-huh. guess I'll try. This was super fun. I did it just for fun. Mm-hmm. And that one license from that show on Scrubs, you know, paid my rent for like two months. It's amazing. You know, and I was like, I can't believe I made more money doing this. And that song took me maybe... I don't know, a day to write mm-hmm. and it made me more money and fans in, you know, just like that mm-hmm. than eight years of doing all these <laughs> other things. And so, uh, I've, I've, I traveled down that path and I, Carrie came out and he was like, you got to come out to the hotel cafe. I got to show you this place. It's, mm-hmm. It was still a tiny little, uh, it was still maybe a third of the size that yeah, it is now. Yeah, a little postage stamp. It, I think it held about 90 people. Mm-hmm. And then you know, when he got, when he had seventy people in there, there was seventy people in there. It was oh yeah, people cozy. had to sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so anyway, anyway, we were kind of like the first guys in there to sort of, I don't know, like me and Carrie and Gary Jules. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we were like the first guys in there to sort of start drawing a crowd. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, my first show there, I sold out. Cool. You know, I hadn't moved here yet, but I went on MySpace. Mm-hmm. And you could go on MySpace at the time, and you could search within five miles for I anybody that. who liked a certain kind of music, mm-hmm. and were within a five mile radius, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of the the hotel cafe. Yeah, so so I was like, "That's where I'm going to play." Yeah. So Carrie gave me Marco's uh, info, and I emailed him, and I was like, "I've only played about five or six gigs ever mm-hmm. in my life now in New York, yeah. where I live. Just my friends are coming. Maybe thirty, forty people would come check it out." Yeah. And. Uh, so I did this thing on MySpace, and I searched for all these people. I would sit home mm-hmm. and add, 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 add. Mm-hmm. And it was like a job yeah, for like a couple weeks before I came out to L.A. And I made all these new friends on MySpace, and they all came out to the show at the Hotel Cafe, so it sold out. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friend, you know, Marco and Carrie being like, what the hell are you doing, man? How- you played like six shows. Mm-hmm. You have like no songs. You- mm-hmm. You've had one song on a TV show, and like you just sold out our bar. Yeah. And so that sort of started this buzz. Yeah. Um, so it was a combination of the Scrubs placement of being at the Hotel Cafe right when that thing started. Yeah. Like before it was like a anyone knew about it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sitting home all day in my kitchen in New York, be, you know, uh-huh. adding I people on MySpace. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's, and then I just kept going from there. And then I would show up at, play a show at the hotel cafe with some demos in mm-hmm. my car and andrea von forrester was there one night who at the time was uh the music supervisor for Grey's anatomy mm-hmm. and she, every time i'd play she'd come up to me like you got any so- new songs new demos uh-huh. and i'd say I-, I gotta go get you this demo yeah. from my car and i'd give her this blank cd with a one song Dang on it. it and then like a week later she'd call and say can we use this on Grey's anatomy and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay yeah and then more fans would check it out and after my first 10 songs all of them, uh, at first 10 songs I had written, I had recorded demos of them at my friend Chris Holmes's house yeah. out here in L.A. And whenever he had spare time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first 10 songs had all been licensed on some TV show. Yeah. So I just decided to put them up on iTunes mm-hmm. as a record. So that's what I did. That was my first record. Mm-hmm. It was called We Were Here. And uh, there were 10 demos. That's and uh, it got me a record deal. That's insane. Did it feel like after years and years of toiling, trying to paint try and find an audience, trying to, to write, screenwrite, and, and, and be seen through a certain light, actually writing your own songs, did it feel like a bit of a vindication, or did it, you feel a little bit of a anger towards the, hey, well, where the fuck was everybody you know what? five it, years ago? It's, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't feel that the latter. Mm-hmm. I felt the former. Uh-huh. Uh, not vindication, but yeah. more kind of like knocking myself upside the head going like, why didn't you try this earlier. Yeah. Why did you toil so long, write all these screenplays with so much frustration involved and flying out to LA and taking meetings Mm -hmm. with people and, uh, you know, getting close and, well, maybe we have the money to make this and Uh now we don't. And maybe this star is going to attach themselves and now they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Here's some, here's some chicken feed. Go and make me another one. Yeah. Yeah, And it was just, uh, I mean, I'm glad everything worked out the way it did. Yeah. Uh, It just made me work harder, but, Mm -hmm. and I think it, helped me develop a style of writing music, writing songs, because I always try to like think visually yeah. when I write a song. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do 
mm-hmm. when you're writing screenplays, you're taught to show, don't yeah. tell. Yeah. So I think that's probably why a lot of my songs have ended up in a hundred of my songs have ended up in TV shows and movies because it's, I write visually. Yeah. So if, if there's a scene someone's thinking about and it's like, uh, you know what? It's tough to describe, but yeah. it no, might, you, it might pair up well with some scene yeah. that someone knows about or, well, that, that is absolutely true. I think that, um, now that you mentioned that, that, that many times you go like, you made me feel this, or you made me feel that in a song, you'll, you'll get a lot of people talking about their emotions. But if you say like, you went to the window, you did this, you did this, and then everybody's able to fill in their comments. Yeah. Rather than just being like, this is how I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was less editorializing and, uh-huh. and basically describing how I feel using a visual image. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still what I try to do. Yeah. That's, that's excellent, man. Um, I'm, I'm always astounded by the, uh, by the heat that happens, but then also what happens to people in the middle of the crux of that, like the crucible of attention. And a lot of times people can falter at certain moments in my life. I've had what you might call like quote unquote heat that has made me panic and maybe worry that maybe I'm do- my motivations are wrong. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a short circuitry through my whole system. And then either doing one of two things, either completely bucking everything that got me there successfully or um, leaning in too much and not actually seeking my own personal success. Um, so in, in light of that, did you ever have a feeling that maybe this was too much or maybe too soon or that, uh, that it was right where you wanted to be. Did you have a, a... <laughs> too soon? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> not when you spent so many uh, years, you know, as a starving artist in New York yeah. city, uh, which is unique kind of starvation, you know? Yeah. My story is definitely one that I've been telling in interviews for 10 years now, ever since yeah. my first record deal. Uh, and people are always like, Oh, that's crazy. It mm-hmm. just, I've never heard a story like this. Mm-hmm. Um, not good, not good or bad, just yeah. unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't regret anything, but also, sure, I wish I would have. I would have had more time. Yeah, to, you know. Now I'm 39. Mm-hmm. It's been nine years uh, since I've been doing this music thing, mm-hmm. and I've had a blast. I've seen the whole world, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I I feel more creatively fulfilled, but. Still not, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you just never do. No, it's the, the carrot's ever dangling, man. Yeah, it really is. Um, obviously, we're all artists. There's some insecurity within all of us that make us do what we do mm-hmm. rather than just have a normal job. Like yeah. most people, we're we're weird. Yeah, you know, we we crave some sort of attention, or we cra- we have something in us that we feel we need to get out, or we have some crazy ego that we feel like we have to express ourselves yeah it's a crazy th- it's an it's a probably, psychological yeah, it probably comes from something in our formative years yeah, where, yeah i don't know who knows um, I, can you imagine if you stood up a bunch of, of animals like an, uh, an orwellian you know animal farm kind of thing and one of them stood up in front of the others and decided that he wanted to open his heart and share his feelings for like 45 <laughs> minutes to an hour You're like there's something wrong with that one yeah exactly it's a little bit odd but i can't not do it i get sick when i don't it's like a plant without sun sure it's it's a natural proclivity for whatever that is. I think that a lot of people are living quiet, quiet lives of desperation and not being able to do that. Yeah, we're lucky to have some sort of skill set, mm-hmm. well, some sort of talent, I guess, that yeah. that allows us this vehicle mm-hmm. uh, to get those things out because everyone's got something they got to get out, but yeah. it, it manifests itself in different ways mm-hmm. for different people. And I guess we're just lucky that we can sing or, do, you know, mm-hmm. have some sort of innate ability to make it uh, uh, more pleasing <laughs> rather than standing on a corner like a crazy person. Yeah. Screaming to the invisible Screaming gods. to yeah. people being like, "This, I have to get this out. Mm-hmm. You know? Was there a moment uh, right about the time? I guess most people go through yeah. therapy. I've never seen a therapist. I don't, I don't feel the need to. I, just started, I get it out on the song. Yeah, I just started going simply because I was trying to find the song. For many times I, I in my process, I've realized that I was trying to serve an invisible committee within my head that I didn't quite do it. And I think it's uh, simply because, I mean, I I just, I've been afraid to go there. The fear within me has kept me from actually connecting with the certain things because there's, I grew up, you know, religious and, and so there's a lot of, you know, taboos, sex, violence, the whole thing, you know, that I think are in there because they're submerged. So I'm worried that if I open it up, then, you know, I'm going to release a double album and an axe murder, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. I, I've never really gone through that kind of fear, but, uh, but I do get it. It's, mm-hmm. 
you know, my mom is very, you know, she's a social worker, so she tries, she's always been mm. trying to uh, analyze me. Divine. Um, uh, what's that? But, you know, it's one of those things where I, uh, for, for who knows, maybe I will go to a therapist one day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, um, I, I'm sure it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. I guess I, it's not my fear of talking about it. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm a fear of it, uh, uh, but it's more like, this could be totally crazy, but I always just feel like I don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, can... not only give it away for free, but mm-hmm. I have to pay to give it away. Yeah. Like, I'd rather just, instead of sitting, mm-hmm. paying someone to listen to me, mm-hmm. I'd rather have people pay to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, once you get a taste of that, you don't want to go back, man. <laughs> I'm like, every night I go, I get up, you know, I'm on tour and I'm in a different city every night. I get on stage and I, I, it's cathartic. I, yeah. I, I work it out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just in the songwriting, but, you know, in the banter between songs. Like, if yeah. I'm thinking about something, I'll just say it. Mm-hmm. And it's, and the, instead of, like, bothering my friends on the bus talking about the same thing all the time, I'm like, wow, I can talk about it on stage and these people... Mm-hmm. They weren't here yesterday. Yeah, they, we're in another city. They'll seem to react. We'll get their reaction. Yeah, yeah, like I'll keep talking about it until I feel like mm-hmm. it's out and mm-hmm. I don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, man. How often are you out on the road, man, percentage-wise for year? Uh, year? It used to be, I would say, about half the year. Uh-huh. This year, uh, starting January, I made a, res- a, re- made a resolution mm-hmm. to take the entire year off okay. and just write. Okay. So I'm writing another record now and... I'm literally sitting on this couch yeah. with this guitar yeah. for hours and hours all the time mm-hmm. um, writing or trying to write or, yeah. you know, so. Uh, do you have a process that you do? You I'll just, do like, a couple wait? gigs here and there this mm-hmm. year, but most of it is going to be just yeah. writing. And as far as your writing process here on this couch, you basically have notepad, fire, no television. You know what? I do sometimes keep the TV on. Like I'll, sometimes I'll put a movie on mute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just because I like the the visual images, mm-hmm. I don't really watch it. But it's more like sometimes it might strike an idea, mm-hmm. just the image. Yeah, sometimes I I might write about a a scene I see in a movie when it's on mute. Yeah. Um, not you know uh, you know so detailed. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know what I'm writing about is from some movie that you might have seen or mm-hmm. uh, where you're not hearing the dialogue, but it might spark something. Yeah. You know, or either that, or I just go on and live my life. And every now and again, I write an idea down on my phone mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of hope it comes mm-hmm. to fruition. In terms but you of don't, song. you don't lash yourself to the uh, the the ship and and make yourself do it every day. You just sort of make no, sure that no, you're never, there. never. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I just can't do it. Yeah. And plus, that makes it a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never wanted a job. <laughs> I had plenty of day jobs, you know, waiting tables, parking cars, doing all those things. And obviously, sitting on your couch, writing songs yeah. in front of a fireplace is much, it's much better than it's that. It's Much, much better. It's pretty much the best thing ever. Yeah. But if you, if I find for myself, if I, and a lot of artists aren't this way, I know, they, they like the Nashville thing. And, mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, crank them out, crank them out. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't come up with it. I've tried that. Mm-hmm. I don't come up with anything good that way because something in my brain says, no, I don't. I don't want to do it this way. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. want it to be a job. Yeah, we'll co- we'll we'll give you a couple of adverbs here and there, but you're on your own for the next yeah. four hours. <laughs> right. Hardcore subconscious. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to see that you've been uh, that you you stayed with uh, the momentum that happened and that you didn't let it scare you and you didn't let it. Uh, oh, I shouldn't. Overwhelm no, you. Don't say that. Oh well. Yeah. Okay. Well, that you didn't let the fear that was there paralyze you because that's what a Not lot of people paralyzed, but it certainly affected me. Yeah. I definitely so. have some sort of fear of success. Yeah, definitely more than a failure of fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really, what's what's the? I fear think of when success? I first started, when I got that first deal, um, there were a lot of people surrounding me all of a sudden that were making money off of me. Yeah, and it was difficult for me because I'd never been in that situation where all of a sudden I was making money doing something creative. Yeah. And that whole commerce versus art uh, thing that yeah. we all go through started happening to me, mm-hmm. happening to me, and I started. Uh, you know, I, there might have been people in my life at the time that were 
uh, you know, saying, okay, we, we, we like this song better than this song. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, I know why you like that song. It sounds more poppy. It sounds more commercial. Mm-hmm. And I just started, I didn't know what I was doing at yeah. all, but I just knew that I wanted to keep it as pure as possible yeah. and not think about the money and not think about, can I get this song on radio? So there wasn't anything on my first album that would even come close mm-hmm. to getting played on the radio. There weren't even any drums on it, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, I look back at it now, and I'm like, I wonder if at that time, you know, I signed to Columbia Records, and they were certainly going like, hey, what about, uh, we've got this John Legend song that mm-hmm. no one's, that he's not going to record, would you want to record it? And I didn't even listen to it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I, I, I want to write my own songs. Yeah. It was so, like the audacity of it. Yeah. You know? What do you attribute that to, just it not being your... Just being in the mode of like, I don't care. Mm-hmm about the money yeah and it's not that i didn't care about the money it's just i wanted to keep it pure yeah mm. so badly yeah and then i realized after time like it's a it's about finding a a healthy balance yeah between i'm not allergic to money mm-hmm. and i certainly have done things for the money like certain gigs that i didn't want to play but i was like well they're going to give me this money and yeah it's uh, i i started to realize how i started to realize quickly how fortunate i was to even be making money yeah. doing something that was so fun anyway. Mm-hmm. So I stopped looking at it that way, but it took a little while. Yeah. Many times I think that the, the idea of the martyr gets put out, especially in the subconscious mind and in the rock and roll books that you read or any of the, hell, even the painters. I mean, Vincent van Gogh only sold one painting in his entire life and it was to his brother, Theo. I'm all yeah, these, these stories that we're, we've grown up with. Yeah. And then have built a, and have become a martyr for art. And, and, uh, what was it? The Bukowski quote, which was, you know, find what you love and let it kill you. Mm-hmm. That whole thing. It's just, and I, I, I talked to a guy who was Bukowski's roommate for a while and he, he said the, the dude was miserable. He was horrible. And, and yeah, well, think, you could tell in every book I've read every, of his, yeah. I don't think I've, he's ever he's never been happy. <laughs> so you know? that, and you have to ask yourself: Is it? Worth and we're all it? obsessed with that growing up. That of idea course. of like the alienated intellectual, yeah. the Hamlet, yeah, the James you know, Dean who's going to yeah, die sure, in the, the Holden Caulfield, the, uh-huh. you know. And every artist I think relates to that kind of character growing up, mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah, and it seems so romantic. Yeah. Uh, and then you start to get a little older, and you're like, I want to eat. Yeah, this is hell. I, I yeah, you know. I'm, and I started to realize I'm not. I, I'm not this guy mm-hmm. i do have certain traits that might be like that character yeah but i i'd much rather be happy mm-hmm. in my life yeah uh and sleep well at night yeah than um, be living in a gutter with you know my yeah. <laughs> my paintings by exactly. my side or something yeah, i don't know yeah or, or the, the the unwritten novel and toilet paper that you stole from you right. know, starbucks or something yeah it, it seems to have a lot of emotional health when it comes to that sort of a thing i mean in honesty well i'm almost 40 now yeah, you true. know yeah. you, we, if you had been doing this podcast with me when i was 23 yeah i think you would have met a much different person yeah no. a much more black and white person mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the only songwriter is Bob Dylan. Uh-huh. The only <laughs> filmmaker. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like yeah. it was very. Uh, I don't know. I, well, you, I was I was more of a music snob, more of art snob. Mm-hmm. It you know. Then you get older and you start yeah. to realize. You know, it's well. Well, you realize a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I I went to this um, screening of a movie that I was in about six or seven years ago. And uh, someone got up who was a, a friend of mine. I got up in, in the middle of the movie and said, like, but this wasn't true, and this wasn't true about it, and this wasn't true about it. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have invited that guy. It was over the DGA. And afterwards, <laughs> afterwards, I remember thinking, like, I, get, I, mean, I guess I feel the same way. I should be proud of that. But then I look back on it now, and I just cringe over the fact that these absolutes that had to happen. And it was, it was a specificity that it, almost, almost as though you're trying to prove yourself by proving what you like. And right, right now, I, I look. I look back on that and I look at a movie that's 80% now. I'll go and watch it and I'll, I'll say, you know what? It it made it. it. It made it all the way to the viewer's face and it's a miracle anything gets done. Yeah. It, in, in all honesty, I mean, with what we've, what we've got available to us, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that you're writing right now. And, oh, man, I won the lottery for sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, you know what I mean? Like the fact now I'm old enough to realize when I wake up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I. I'm not even that good. I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many people that we meet all the time at the hotel cafe or mm-hmm. certain places we hang out. I meet people all the time that I, I can't believe mm-hmm. they're not more successful than I am. Yeah. I just, it's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I, um, but of course, you know, 
you know, uh, success when it comes to art means so many different things Mm -hmm. to so many different people. And, um, I don't know. It's, I guess true success is just about feeling fulfilled artistically or as fulfilled as you possibly can Mm -hmm. at the moment. So, yeah. And the financial success does trying for that. We all are. Yeah. Naturally. Naturally. Now, I, who knows what'll happen when I like, have kids? Yeah, one day, like which is I'm sure going to happen some point soon. Mm-hmm. You know, then who, I don't know. You know, maybe I'll stop wanting to be on the road, and mm-hmm. maybe I'll just write uh, soundtracks. Maybe I'll start thinking like, yeah, who knows? I, yeah, that change that you go through. Mm-hmm. When all my friends have had kids, and they're like, yeah. now the only thing that matters to me used to be mm-hmm. uh, this show that I was working mm-hmm. on, or this movie I'm writing, or this series of paintings and now it's like all my creative mm-hmm. energy goes into this child yeah it is, it's strange to have the paradigm shift especially um i mean to go through that paradigm shift even at the moment of your beginning of your musical career yeah now there's a couple of strange moments that i want to talk about um just about getting on columbia and the joyous r- relief of actually you know being you know accepted by the literal one of the largest and most iconic record companies in the world and then realizing few years later maybe not and then yeah i mean it's not. it's it's very it was uh, you know it was one of those alice in wonderland moments i guess i went down the rabbit hole and yeah then i sort of looked around i was like wait a second mm-hmm. this is all not real yeah you know um i had a crazy story i signed the biggest record deal in 10 years that Columbia had given to a new artist. Wow. Not like a, but a brand new artist. That yeah. wasn't like enormous or anything, mm-hmm. but relatively it was. Yeah. And I had only been writing songs and been a musician for six months. They signed me before even seeing me play. Yikes. What? Because of the buzz of the record I had put up myself on iTunes, it went to the top, you mm-hmm. know, 15 albums on iTunes just yeah. because everyone was downloading these mm-hmm. songs that they had heard on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was doing. I yeah. I certainly looked a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Um I I had the the, the audacity to actually say to them I had 10 bedroom demos of my first 10 songs uh-huh. and I said and there it was a bidding war going on between Columbia and a, a couple other the, the other majors. Mm-hmm. And I was on a ski slope on a vacation <laughs> with my buddy. And my manager, Debbie, called me on my cell phone and uh-huh. said, you're not going to believe this, but there's a bidding war between the majors to oh. try to sign you. And I was like, I almost fell off the lift. <laughs> and I was like, because I hadn't gone through all that uh, touring and touring and touring and trying to, you know, whatever, it had come so easily. Yeah. I was so brash. Yeah. I said, all right, tell Columbia I'll sign with them if I get to open for Bob Dylan and they can't touch this record. They have to release them just as it is. Oh. No mixing, no mastering, nothing, nothing. as is. Balls. Right? Balls. I would never say that to <laughs> anyone now. I wouldn't even say that to like someone who wasn't a label, uh-huh. let alone Columbia Records. Uh-huh. Um, but they did. I mean, I, they said, of course, yeah, you can open for Bob Dylan. I didn't know at the time that Columbia Records yeah. doesn't choose Bob Dylan's support act. Yeah. And then Bob so, Dylan, of course, that's what Bob that Dylan happen. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, but they got me to sign. Yeah. And they did release that record uh, completely as is. Uh-huh. I don't even think it was mixed. No, they just said... Well, and they put it out under the... It wasn't like under an umbrella label. It was under Columbia proper. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a push and pull to that. They go like, guess what? It's going to cost no money to make the record because it's exactly what the demos are. Like, really? He just wants the demos? I guess he wants the demos. Yeah. yeah. So um, I had no idea that a record advance for a record deal yeah. that you have to pay back. Ah, oh, yeah. I thought it was like... Here you go. Here's some money. I didn't even think about it. The word mm-hmm. advance. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. It was funny to look back on. But. Yeah. It seems like you caught the the death knell of uh, of the regular model. And like you caught it right at... Caught the I think I was the last person, too, to sign a deal that wasn't a 360 deal with a major label. Jimmy Christmas. Jeez. Um, which was nice. Yeah. I still have never signed away my publishing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kids. Because I have a really good manager, and she was like, from the moment we started working Mm -hmm. together, she was like, you are a writer, you keep your publishing, Mm -hmm. unless someone's going to pay you like a life-changing amount of money for your publishing. And And even then, I'm very glad that I've kept that. Yeah. Well, that's kids go to college money. That's, you know. It's mailbox money forever. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's great, man. And now you're on a smaller indie label now, yeah? I'm not on any label. You're not on any label? That's no, great. The last record I mm-hmm. self-released. Excellent. It was barely a physical release. Yeah? I mean, I took physical copies out on the road to mm-hmm. sell on tour, but mm-hmm. pretty much just sold it on iTunes myself. Yeah. It just feels and like... owning the publishing and master, you're kind of like, you don't have to sell that many records to make it lucrative. No, not at all. I mean, it, probably make more than any of my friends on a major label. Mm-hmm. They make pennies on a Absolutely. record. Well, they get like, what, 5, 15% on, uh, so they get 100,000 sales, so they get 15% on that, and they get, you know, what, $15,000. You say, you know, you get 100% of 50,000 downloads, that's $50,000. Yeah, I mean, the deal I had with Mom and Pop, which was an indie label of the last mm-hmm. three records, uh, they, I owned half my master and all my publishing. Mm-hmm. So we were partners in the sense of yeah. 50-50 on the masters. I mean, I had full control. Mm-hmm. They couldn't tell me we won't put this record out. I'd be like, you're putting this out. Yeah. So I tried different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried different sounds. I wasn't, it wasn't in my wheelhouse. They weren't in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Certainly if they had control, they would have been like, why don't we try for this thing that succeeded already? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes yeah. um, business-wise and, and in the studio, and uh, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Now, have you ever thought about getting back into screenwriting at all? I thought about it, but I just, I don't think I'm that good at it. Really? Uh, mm. Looking back on it after all this time, I've, I don't think that's my calling. Yeah. You still paint it all? Yeah. yeah. I have a, a studio back there. Oh, excellent. Um, who are your yeah. painters? Who are your uh, influences? Gosh, you know, so many. Mm. <sighs> it's tough. I love Cezanne. Yeah. Mm. Kandinsky. Yeah. Yeah. There's certain... Uh, there's an element... Uh, there's an element of Picasso. I shouldn't say an element of Picasso. Mm-hmm. I love him. I mean, obviously he, he was amazing, but uh, there's certain, I'm fascinated by guys like that, not only because of the work, mm-hmm. but because of the personality, yeah. know, the character, the first mm-hmm. ever rock star. The first painter. ever, Pe- you know, the, I'm always fascinated by people who change the game, mm-hmm. you know, that move the needle like a Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. the first real like singer worldwide, singer songwriter mm-hmm. you know the yeah. first you know created a genre in a sense that was like the first guy like on the radio that was singing his own songs mm-hmm. and didn't have this great voice but yeah. had a voice yeah it wasn't his song alley or was it it wasn't all these guys writing songs for someone that just had a beautiful voice mm-hmm. i i love that i love the picasso the the idea that he could take a canvas and and look at something make something three-dimensional on a two-dimensional plane, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and be this crazy character that all of a sudden the world knows about, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's not just about the fame, obviously. Yeah. Uh, well, that, you think it's that, fascinating. It's, yeah. it's, he, he, he changed the game mm-hmm. visually as well as, uh, I don't know, personality-wise yeah. for artists. They, no longer was it yeah. a uh, an artist time. that was... You were either the you were like the Michelangelo who was, you know, the kings. You know, were mm-hmm. saying, "Okay, do this for us." Or churches, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a few artists, like the one or two artists yeah. in the country that were mm-hmm. like, "We're going to him for this," you know, um, to guys like the Van Goghs, you know, who you know lived and worked in obscurity. Were, were, and- yeah, we're and but we're changing things visually. Mm-hmm. Picasso was kind of like that first guy that came around that changed things visually as well as mm-hmm. l- like lifestyle wise. Yeah, and, and he definitely came ran into uh, a lot of uh, him and Modigliani's feud back and forth was just insane. Did you ever get a chance to see the uh, I was um, uh, the biopic of Modigliani and the way they painted? Uh, I never saw it. It was great. I'll, I'll I'll send you over a link to it. It's it's really wonderful. But they obviously you've got um, Amadeo Modigliani. In in the throes of trying to be creative, and then his nemesis always comes through with pomp and circumstance. Tiny little guy, hair slammed to the side, and uh, just that push and pull, and like them wanting to be iron that sharpened iron, but at the same time, one of them in the, uh, in the end fading away, and almost like this war in an art is of itself. It's a, it was a really strange thing to see. But yeah, I also I, you know the 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 relationship between Picasso and Matisse was so interesting too yeah. because Picasso revered 
Matisse, yeah. who's older than him. Mm-hmm. And Matisse was this master colorist, and Picasso was sort of this master of like form and line. Um, and then spurned him, I think, in the end. That Matisse, didn't he? Yeah, well, in a sense. Yeah. Later in life, I think he was always maybe a bit threatened yeah. by Pablo. I, they had a, a serious competition going on, yeah. for sure. But I don't know. I, I find that he's such an interesting character because when he was just a kid, you know, he was a prodigy. So many people look at, you know, that don't know anything about uh, Picasso, just look at these paintings mm-hmm. um, and say, oh, I could do that. Yeah. You know, that doesn't, you don't realize he could paint like Da Vinci when he was like 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just got bored. He was like this prodigy, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a, like a Dylan who yeah. could write these songs at 17. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I've got. They were like, how could you write these songs at seventeen? Yeah. It was, or he, or like his favorite poet, Rimbaud. Yeah. You know, who was well, like he, a child poet who was he, writing this poetry that is, you know, just absolutely so yeah. beyond uh, yeah. the, the age he was at. Yeah. Uh, Didn't Rimbaud die when he was nineteen or something? Like that? So, did, did he, he die at nineteen? I'm not sure. No, about I think that. most of his work was, was done when he was nineteen. I think. Yeah, but I'm not sure if he died yeah there's a strange he certainly died young yeah there's a strange thing within uh within seeing those things and seeing that young of a person and it really makes me want to believe in the collective subconscious absolutely just because people can plug into something and there's just an undercurrent of human subconscious whether or not that's metaphysically i I believe in that i certainly believe in that in terms of screenwriting too i used to see that all the time where i'd come up with this idea for some screenplay Mm -hmm. and um, you know, I'd be in the thick of it writing yeah. an outline, and then a month later, I'd see. And I hadn't told anyone about the idea, yeah. and I'd see two movies coming out mm-hmm. that were basically about the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's that collective consciousness: it's, tornadoes, vampires. I mean, we go through. We're everything. always trying to be a sponge, yeah, as artists, mm-hmm. but at the same time, with yeah. our own filtration system. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's the filtration system is the thing that you know, whatever that finally lets out and distills down into the cup is you go like, oh, this is my own unique brand of this. Yeah, and every now and again. You get a Dylan or a Picasso or something mm-hmm. like that that is just so in tune with the collective consciousness, but also, crazily enough, has the skill set and talent to express it yeah. in a way that no one ever has. Yeah. It's, it's, it's strange metaphysical physical stuff, dude. It's great. So what's going on now? Where are you, um, where are you moving on next with this record? Are you just going to write I'm just all writing year? record. Yeah. Yeah. I got a whole year. You got a whole I've year. never had like this kind of time before. Yeah. Or, you know? I've been on the road a lot. I've toured about nine years, put out five albums, a yeah. couple EPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been on a pretty furious pace. Yeah. Always either re- writing, recording, or touring. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, okay, I'm going to sit. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought a house. It's comfy. I'm going to sit here mm-hmm. and like write. Yeah. I've never done this before. So it's, it's interesting. It's coming slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the new songs I have. Good, man. Yeah, I can't wait to hear him, dude. Thanks. All right. I want to thank you for doing this, man. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Good talk with a good friend. Been a while since we've been able to sit down. Actually, it's been never since we were able to sit down for that long. That's what I love about this show is that it's a forced format for us to be able to get together and hash things out that we've never known. It takes a lot of just hanging out and going and grabbing a beer to get to the deep in the dark of these conversations that I continue to do. And I continue to post sharkbrainpodcast.com where you can get any and all of our podcasts that we've done. I say we. Really, it's just me and Banjo, my dog. But he he's just moral support. He really doesn't do much else other than that. Again, continue to spread the word. Continue to send me notes on what you guys think about the show. Interact with with it. I really enjoy it. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Newton. You can go to jakenewton.com and see any of the dates that are coming up. Not a whole lot of this going on. I'm still writing. I'm in the thick of it. Just forcing myself to sit ass in chair and write songs. It's a good thing. Right now, I'm going to go and, and look online and figure out why on earth I'm picking up a Mexican radio station when I plug in my recording gear. Anybody got a, a thought on that? Tweet at me. Give me a g- give me your information I need to know. What's going on? And try that coffee that I talked about in the beginning of the show. Thank you guys so much for spreading the word. I really do appreciate you as an audience. I know you got many things that are flowing at you at all times. 
I just appreciate that you're willing to listen to my mind ramble for a bit and, and talk with these people about these things. Time is precious, guys. I really, I really encourage you to get out there and to feel what you want to feel and, and lean in. Love your friends and be well. Thank you.